come to this time of the sermon, uh, as I take note throughout the week, I pay attention to hear perhaps what God is telling me through you, through email messages, through conversations when I run into you in town or other times and places. And uh, no less than three times this week, I was reminded of a sermon that God led me to preach this summer. It was called Take It. Anyone remember that sermon? Anyone? There we go. A student in the front. So if you remember, I, I want you to, as we begin this sermon, uh, Kyle, I appreciate that prayer. Because we need to give it to God. In light of whatever you're facing personally, in light of what's happening in the world, if you're like me, I've brought that out a lot this week in terms of take it. So I invite us, if you're willing, put your hands up and pray with me and say, take it. One more time, hands up. Take it. And now I invite you to hold out your hands in front, if you will, and I'm going to pray for us again. Because I know for me, I have felt the weight of all that's happening in the world. I have felt the weight of what's happening in Ukraine. And as I tune in and read updates and watch updates, I've, Laurie and I have had to talk. I'm like, I've had to kind of step back at points because I want to engage, but then I feel like I'm almost obsessing with it. And, and I find myself almost being weighed down by it. And I know that if so much anxiety and fear is in me, I don't have space for God and what he has for me. And so I don't know, maybe you're facing that. Maybe I'm the only one who's, who's experiencing that this week. Uh, maybe this prayer is for me. But I, as we enter into this time, I want us, I invite you to hold out your hands. We're going to ask God to, to receive, uh, take from us what he needs to take, and then give to us what he wants to give to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you again in prayer, recognizing, God, that uh, we can't make life work on our own. In this broken-down world, we're seeing that humanity, as far as we may think we've progressed over the years, cannot make life work on our own. We need you. We need help. And God, as we come to this time to hear from your word and our hands are open, Lord, we ask that you would receive from us, take from us what you need to take out so you could create space for your grace in our life. And with our hands open then, that you would give to us what you want to give to us. Through your word, we pray that you would give us, Lord, your truth, your grace, and your love. Pour into us, Lord, and in fact, stir up our spirits as you do that. You've done it in the past I pray and trust you'll do it now and you will continue to do it into the future. And as we sang in that great song, your love has no end, Lord. Is, and in fact, it's true, Lord, you reign forever. Remind us of that you are the God who is on the throne and that you reign forever. May we see that and hear that in your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I begin this sermon, I, want, I have to admit something. Some of you already know this about me. If you're connected to me at all on social media, you know this about me. Um, if you've been around, maybe even near our house, you probably could see and know this. That, and what I want to admit to you is that I love fire. I love fire. In fact, I may have an unhealthy fascination with fire. I need to confess that to you. I just love fire. And it began as a child with the same Boy Scout troop that meets, still meets here, New Promise Presbyterian Church, Troop 63. I remember my first camping trip. And on that camping trip, I remember sitting down with the leader and him teaching me and teaching us how to build a fire. And there's something so fascinating about it, bringing the sticks together and just trying to get it set up and with the right kindling and the right match and to try and get that fire going. And though all of us were kind of fascinated by it, I just loved it. I loved the idea of the challenge of trying to build a fire, especially when the wood was wet and everyone thought there's no way we're going to be able to start that fire. It became a personal challenge, something I enjoyed, something I loved. And I remember clearly that first fire that was being built. Over the years, whether it's on camping trips or whether it's in my backyard in a fire pit or in our house in a fireplace. I love building fires. 
And my memory of the largest fire that I ever built uh, was shortly after college. A bunch of guys got away to go camping. It was a, guy, a bunch of guys from my uh, guys' small group Bible study. And we went camping, and we found this spot, and, and there was a beautiful campsite, but there was a field. And in the middle of the field was a fire ring. And with no trees anywhere near that fire ring, it was an opportunity for the infinite fire. And so I rallied the troops. I'm like, let's get as much wood as possible. So we gathered wood. I mean, we were dragging trees out of the forest. I mean, it was incredible. And we started building this fire, and it got larger and larger and larger. And we just kept adding more wood and more wood and more wood. And as the sun started to, to descend, I remember seeing my friends' faces just glowing in that fire, the light from that fire. And as it was getting colder as the sun went down, the heat from that fire, it was a, a sight to behold. And as the fire was at its highest point, this bonfire we heard thunder, and right after thunder was a gust of wind, and seemingly before we could blink our eyes, all of a sudden it started pouring down rain, and we ran across the field. There was a pavilion in the distance with a bunch of picnic tables, and we ran across that field to get out of the water, and we sat down at those picnic tables, and we were able to sit and just be in awe of the pouring down rain. It was just this torrential rain was coming down, but as we sat on those tables, of course, we looked across that field. I can still see it. Across that field to that massive bonfire as the rain came pounding down. And we all said it, we were all thinking it, and then we said it. Who is going to win? Is the bonfire going to win with all that heat? Or is the rain going to win? And the rain wasn't letting up, and it kept raining and raining. And in the beginning, we were almost like, it was like a sporting event. It was for free. We were like, go fire, go, right? Because it was just, it, it would not relent. It would just keep going. We're like, this fire's going to hold up. But after an hour, another hour, and this rain just kept pounding down. Eventually, I remember I could see the fire starting to give in. And eventually getting smaller and smaller. To the point where it was, I mean, it was even after midnight, we were still talking, hanging out. We could see it. It became just a, a small orange oval in the distance. Um, and so we were went to sleep, got into our tents. I remember going to bed that night hearing the rain still pounding on the ceiling of that tent. Um, just going to sleep and waking up. And I woke up, it was bright. I could hear the birds chirping. Um, no more rain. I looked outside the tent, and it was a blue sky. And yes, I have an unhealthy fascination with fire because the first thought I had was, did the fire survive? So I ran across that field, and there on the ground was this bed of ashes. Just the fire looked dead, but there was a line of smoke still coming off of that fire. And so underneath it, we had a tarp uh, with wood underneath it, pulled out a couple sticks and a couple pieces of paper. I remember getting down and just blowing on those embers. And as the ash moved away, there was still some orange, just like these candles. Thanks for the visual. But like it's just this orange was right there. And all of a sudden, the paper lit. A couple pieces of wood couple pieces of kindling and the fire started going friends came out of the tent they're like dude let go of that fire <laughs> i'm like but it's back and they were glad because it was it was a cold morning and so we got around that fire why do i tell that story i think that is a picture of so much of what we've experienced the last two years in the covid storm and not just the covid storm right this torrential downpour of of what has been this pandemic but now what's happening in ukraine and what's happening around the world and all of us are being, if you're like me, I felt like we've been pounded by a torrential rain. And whatever fire that was inside of us, whatever life was inside of us, has been kind of pull, pulled down. And there's been this battle. And no doubt for the church, 
and local churches around this nation, around the world, like that fire, have been impacted by the pouring rain. And the question for many is, will the church survive? Will the church continue to move forward? Will the fire come back? I believe, much like that fire was brought back to life, by the grace of God, by the movement of his spirit, and by him doing what he does best, which is God being God, that the church is gonna come back to life. Can I get an amen with that? So whether you're joining us online, still good to see you. This room is packed because we are here and we're together and we're seeking God's face to rebuild in light of who he is and what he wants us to do. And so as we come to today, we're kicking off a new sermon series called Stirred Up. Stirred Up because throughout human history, as you see throughout the pages of scripture, that God, and many times when it looks like the church or God's people, that the light may go out, that the fire may go out, God does something. He stirs up his people. He stirs up the spirits of his people. And over and over again, the underdog, which is the church, makes a comeback. Makes a comeback. And so today, to begin this series, we're going to look at a lesser-known prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Haggai. Say his name with me. Haggai. It feels good to say that, right? Say that again. Haggai, right? Get a good ha with that Haggai, right? What a name. What an awesome name. I have four daughters. If I had a son, would we have named him Haggai? Probably not. But the fact that, what a great name. Looking over at Laurie over here. Haggai. I love the name. He's a lesser known prophet. And so historically, what had happened? God's people, right? God had promised, I'll give you a land. I'll give you a blessing. And with that blessing comes, you need to obey me. You need to follow my commands and trust and believe that what I have said is true and best for you. God's people sometimes did that. They most of the time didn't. And then what happened was over the years as they turned away from God and turned to idols and, and looked to their own paths, eventually people came, the, Bab- the Syrians, the Babylonians, and took God's people out of the land. And they were taken into exile. And for 70 years away from the land, God promised that he would bring them back. After 70 years, he did bring them back. And through the movement of God, through a world leader in, in Persia, a king, he opened the door for God's people to come back to the promised land. It was a movement of God. There's no reason that should have happened. And not only did God allow those people to come back to the land, they were allowed to worship their own God in that land. That was a miracle. So God's people came back. And you read this in the the first six chapters of the Old Testament book of Ezra. So as they come back to this land after going through this traumatic event of being taken out, generations upon generations of pain and uncertainty, they rebuild. They're called to rebuild the temple of God. So they lay the foundation. They build the altar and they worship. It's an incredible scene in Ezra. But then something happens. They lost track of God. After they worshiped, they stopped building the temple. And they turned elsewhere. And the new habits, the habits of not following God, of being away from God, started to creep back in. The initial excitement of building that altar gave way to mediocrity and complacency. And we get a picture of that in the prophet of Haggai. We're going to look at the first chapter of this Old Testament letter, the smallest book in the Old Testament, two chapters. We're going to consider half of the book today. We're going to take it section by section in chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And so I invite you to picture yourself there in the land at that time after coming back from being in exile. What would it have been like? What would you have felt like? And we're going to get a picture of it here, so starting in Haggai chapter 1, starting with verses, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. We read this. In the second year 
of King Darius. That's the Persian king. On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Pause there. So here, marked in human history in the second year of this king, right? this word comes to the prophet Haggai, a prophet who speaks to the people on behalf of God. Prophets in the Old Testament would call people back to covenant faithfulness, back to being faithful to God, because God is always faithful with us, but as humans, we are not always faithful with him. And we need wake-up calls, we need reminders, we need to be stirred up. And here Haggai calls people back to God. But he begins with a message of what God said. And the message from God is this, these people say, interesting, these people. God is a personal God. And we see that even in the Old Testament, he's a personal God. You are my people, I am your God. Here he refers to the people as these people. It's like there's a separation Like something's gone awry. These people. Now, is it because God moved? No. God's people had moved away from him. Even to the point where now he's not referring to them as my people. He refers to them as these people. He says, these people, these people are saying this. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So the temple or the Lord's house wasn't being rebuilt. They had built that altar. They had worshipped. They started to worship, but then they backed away. Well, what was happening? Let's move on to verse 3. We read, Then, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. In verse 4, it says this, Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? So here God is calling attention to the fact that God's people are leaving his house, the temple, in ruins. It's not being rebuilt. It's an unfinished project. A project actually never got off the ground. But then God says a word of conviction. He said, but you're living, these people are living in their paneled houses. What's he getting at there? Well, paneled house speaks to to the fact that they were taking care of their own homes. They were spending a lot of money. This is way before HGTV. This is way before any flip or flop or anything like that. I mean, this is, they were doing up their own homes. And they were investing and taking care of themselves in their own houses but God's temple was laying in ruins. And God's calling attention, calling, getting the attention of his people by saying, I think there's grace in it, saying, look, you've been through a lot. You've come through this exile. Now you're here. And yes, it makes sense. You need to establish your own house. I think there is grace hidden underneath this. But don't leave my house, God is saying. Don't leave my house in ruins. And so a word of conviction comes. He's like, you're living in your paneled houses. Hey, they look great. Nice decorations, good color choices. You upgraded your kitchen, well done. But my house is in a ruin. And so he continues with this word, and it really is rooted in the the warnings from Deuteronomy 28 as we read verses 5 through 11. Let me read this to you. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. 
Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Here in this section, it's the f- he, God says, give careful thought to your ways. Whenever God says this, it's a it's really a message. It's almost like a timeout saying, hey, life's going on. You need to take a timeout, step back, and assess what's really going on here. And there's two references, God says here, to give careful thought to your ways. In the book of Haggai, there's five total. You get two of them today. He says, give careful thought to your ways. They've considered all that they've done, their efforts they've put in in terms of eating and drinking and trying to make money and harvest crops. It was all coming to nothing. It's like a bunch of false starts. Bunch of investments that went wrong. They just couldn't figure it out. But God is saying, here's the reason why. If you're frustrated, God is saying, if you feel unfulfilled, if you feel lost, in essence, God is saying, it's because you've lost track of me. You've lost track of my ways. You've lost track of what's important. Ultimately, to me, God's saying, which in the end is what is most important to you, I believe God is saying. So what does God do in verse 12? He the people respond. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. So the people heard this voice and message to the prophet and they responded. They woke up. They realized something was happening here. And all of a sudden, it is any time that you hear a word from God, especially through Scripture, and you can reframe and see your life through that lens, there's a sense that, oh, I've been missing something. And now I need to get back on track. And so in many ways, they're beginning to recalibrate. Well, how does that happen? In verse 13, we continue, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. He said, I am with you, declares the Lord. I think it's so interesting. God could have said anything to his people. He could have given them more instruction. He could have convicted them more. Like if you're a parent or a grandparent and a child goes wayward, sometimes the temptation is, I'm just going to let you keep knowing about this so you'll never do it again. That's not God. God gives a word of conviction, but he gives grace to follow it up to help turn and repent and respond to what he says. And here he gives this life-giving four words, I am with you, comes through the prophet Haggai. The words, I am, would have spoken to God's identity, right? His name revealed in the burning bush to Moses. I am who I am. Yahweh, I am. He says, I am. Not just I am. He says, I am with you. You're not alone. Despite all that you've gone through, despite people being sent into exile, despite of all the, the loss, all of the pain, everything that's gone on, God is saying through the prophet Haggai, I am with you. I am with you. And so when the people heard this news, what happened? When they heard this word from God, verse 14, this is where things get really interesting. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, 
governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. What happens is, is when the word goes out, when these people hear, I am with you, God stirred up the spirit of his people. He stirred them up. And not just Zerubbabel, right? He's the governor, which speaks to government. Not just Joshua, the high priest, but then he stirred up the whole remnant of the people of God. The, those who were still there, those who hadn't given up on God, those who hadn't been completely lost, that God always has a remnant. And let me correct that. Sometimes people do get lost. Sometimes people feel disconnected. But God always has a remnant. He's always got a couple embers still down there in the fire that if they're nurtured and cared for and they come together, the fire can start again. Here he stirs up the spirits, not only of Zerubbabel, not only of Joshua, but of the whole remnant of the people of God. And what do they do? They doubled down on their homes and made them better. No. What did they do? They came together, they joined together for the work of the Lord to build up the house of God again. Yes, for God's glory and for his honor. But also I knew that, I believe that God wanted his people to come together. Because being separate, isolated, alone in their own homes, though there could be a sense of safety and comfort and, and potential short-term help, he knew what was best is when God's people are together. Together, joining on the mission of God as the people of God for his glory in the world. That's why he wanted his people to come together. And he stirred them up through that prophet Haggai. It's an incredible story. And for me, again, it comes back to this image of a fire and where there's embers and the fire looks like it's down. But God doesn't see just a dead fire. God sees the potential. And he's always pulling together a remnant of people who still believe, who still trust, who still want to give God another chance. God who gives us infinite chances, he invites us to give him another chance and for us to come together and give one another another chance in the process. Right, so what does this mean for us today? No doubt the impact of the pandemic is real. Wow, here we are, early March, right, two years ago, shut down. Right, I don't, well, I wasn't here in New Jersey when it happened. I know in Virginia, we had a church staff meeting, and we thought, okay, well, potentially some things will change at the end of this week. And so on Tuesday, we developed a plan. We had like seven-eighths of the whiteboard was what we can do if, if the things don't shut down, and then the other eighth was we called the nuclear option. We're like, well, if we have to shut down, we'll, we'll figure that piece out. We have a couple of ideas. Well, we moved across that line and 50 yards downfield like that. And it's been two years. And in many ways, these two years have been like that torrential downpour, that rain. Whether it's on us personally, our own personal walk with God, or just life pounded by the rain. Or maybe your family pounded by the rain. Your business or your experiences at school pounded by that rain. No doubt, as a, as a local church, a church family, pounded by that rain. And yes, the fire has gone down to some extent. Uh, but I'm not here for all about doom and gloom. I can report to you that this church was far from being like that bed of ashes with one little thing of smoke. Because coming in here, I've seen this church, I've seen what Christine Vogley and the children's team have continued to do with our children, getting super creative. I've seen what Mike Flavin and, the, and Audrey and the, and the student ministries done to continue to engage our middle school and high school students. I've continued to see adults get together and gather, whether outdoors or online. I've continued to see the love and care through Colleen and the deacons. I continue to see our worship teams and production teams get super creative 
This church is far from being a fire that's gone out, amen? And so now the fire continues. So for me, it's less of coming up to a bunch of ashes and blowing on them and hoping for the best. It's more like there's a lot of great sticks in there. It's more like taking a, a stick and poking it a bit and poke it around a bit. Get some oxygen in there. Bring people together and let's see what this fire can be. Because as we come together, we experience the hope and the love of Jesus Christ and that warmth of that fire. And there's a whole community, in fact, a whole world who needs to experience the hope of Jesus Christ. As a church family, we can come together to discover, embrace, and share the hope of Jesus Christ as we come together as God stirs us up. So hear this word today, March 6, 2022. There's only one. March 6, 2022, and God's word, just like it was thousands of years ago to God's people then, is the same word to you. God says, I am with you. I am with you. Whatever you're facing individually in your life, know this, God is with you. Whatever your family, whatever your relationships are in your family, wherever you're facing struggles, God is with you. Whatever you're facing at your, in your business or at school, wherever you are in your network of friends, God is with you. And as a church, for us, New Promise Presbyterian Church, the word from God, I believe, for us is that God is with us. He is with you. He's with me. He's with us together. And I believe he wants to stir up our spirits to move forward, to come join together for whatever God has for us. And so we're going to consider that in the weeks ahead. We're going to look at different images in the New Testament where it's not a physical temple where God's presence is. In the New Testament, it's where the people of God are together. That's where God's presence is. And it's not when we're separate, but when we're together. And we're going to look at the different images throughout the New Testament of how God pulls people together and the beautiful outcomes of when we get stirred up by his spirit to come together to be the people of God, the family of God, on the mission of God, doing the ministry of God. So one thing to remember, one thing to do as we finish, as we consider this, one thing to remember is that God stirs up the spirits of his people to join together to be the light and hope of Christ in our world. That's one thing to remember. As we do, remember, the goodness is that we will experience, we will experience his love and grace and truth when we re-engage in this manner. One thing to do uh, this week is to begin by praying and identify a specific way right, that God could be calling you to engage or re-engage in the life and service in your Providence Presbyterian Church. And as you pray and think about that, I ask you and even challenge you to reach out to our church staff and simply say, I'm here to help. It could be an email that doesn't have to go into details, doesn't have to be, just say, I'm here to help. And maybe perhaps God, and I'm going to plant this seed and we're going to hit this in the weeks ahead leading up to Easter, that my hope and desire is that every single person who's a part of the Promised Presbyterian Church will declare a major. What do I mean by that? When you go to college, your first year, hey, gen eds, you're hanging out, maybe not so serious. Some are very serious. They're, they're, they're driven. They've got their major picked out. I'm looking at someone in here since they were born. But the fact that others, you, you have their first year as a bunch of gen eds, but then after the year is over, you have to declare a major. And for us, as we come back together as a church family, my vision is that every single person in our church will declare a major. What I mean by that is declare a major of children's or students, or worship, or care, or missions, or outreach, or tech production, administration, personnel, whatever that is, I need you, our 
session of elders, our staff needs every single one of us to come together, to hear this call of God, to be stirred up, to come together. And so if you want to find your place in New Providence Presbyterian Church or find it again, the best way to do it will be to declare a major, say, I'm here to help, and we're going to help you find that place. Because imagine all of us coming together, like sticks to a fire. Don't worry, I'm not, we're not going to burn you. But come together and picture more of the positive, the light, the heat, the warmth, all the good things of a fire. That's what a church should be within a local community. A church on fire, not physically, but by the Holy Spirit, so that the hope of Christ can be seen and known by more and more people. A couple questions to help you think about this. In what ways do you relate to the people described in Haggai, who took care of their own paneled homes while God's temple was in ruins? That's between you and God. It's a convicting question. Sit there and ask yourself and ask God, God, how am I like the people in that, in that time years ago? And yes, there's grace in this too. All of us have had to go in survival mode in some way, absolutely. We've had to fend for ourselves and take care of our own families, our own situations. But God is asking us to open that up again, begin opening that up again in those relationships. Number two, how is God inviting and calling you to engage or re-engage in serving God through helping New Providence Presbyterian Church? And number three, what are the ways that New Providence Presbyterian Church could discover, embrace, and share the hope of Christ with one another, and with our community as we dedicate ourselves to our church in this next season? Think about those questions. Uh, if you don't know, I post those questions on our Facebook page, typically in the early afternoon, and they go out in a weekly email, typically going out tomorrow. Um, so for, for follow-up for the questions and, th and the thing to remember, thing to do, if you're not part of our weekly email, you can sign up, send an email to, to office at thecornernj.com or go to our website um, to follow up on those questions. Let me pray for us as we transition from this time into our time of communion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are God who stirs up your people, but you do it graciously. And in this passage here in Haggai, we see a word of conviction, yes, that came to your people, but you followed it up with grace. You reminded them that you were with them. God, help us to hear that good news today, God, that you are with us. God, that you promise in your word not to leave us nor forsake us. God, you don't abandon us. In all the different places in our lives where we have felt abandoned, God, help us to not put that on you. Help us to receive your love and help us to realize, God, that you are there. And in that, Lord, may that stir us up to join together to go after, God, what you're calling us to go after together as a church family. I pray for each person, Lord. You know their situation. You know their story. I ask, God, that you would give them courage, that you would give them your love, and that you would stir up each of our spirits individually and collectively as a church family for what you have for us going forward. We look forward to whatever that's going to be, God. The adventure of faith can be awesome, Lord, when we surrender to you. Lord, may that be a marker of our church. May we surrender to your love today and in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. We pray this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.